This is a story of a man and a woman who lived in a beautiful garden. It's a story of a snake who tricked mankind for thousands of years. It's a story of God and his promises. It's the story of one who's coming back to crush the head of the snake. And to give us that home we once had, we might have forgotten, lost. Biggest story. Good weekend, everybody, and welcome back to our series where we are looking at the big story of God's Word. We want to remind you that your Bible and my Bible, this beautiful book that God has given to us, is not a compendium of a bunch of fables and legends, is not simply different books that over 40 different authors wrote and put together for us. This is really God-inspired, and it's one big story. And as we've been discovering, it is God's story. And it just so happens that he's made you and me a pretty big part of his story because he loves us so much. And we know that God's story, so to speak, went wrong when human beings like us rebelled against him and we still continue to rebel against him. But God has not washed his hands of us. The truth is God came in his story to rescue us and restore us in a relationship with himself again. And the awesome, exciting news is that he's going to come back again and he's going to restore all of his creation, including you and me. So right now, we're talking about the very beginnings of God's story. We're looking at what was it like before we messed things up. And it's really important that we look back and see that because it has implications for how we partner with God today and what we look forward to in the future. And one of the things we're going to talk about today that when I thought about just kind of putting it out there, I thought, well, people are going to yawn when they hear this or they're going to cringe when they hear it. Uh, but it's still so important and I think it's actually going to make a beautiful change in what you do is the topic of work. God made us, he made you and me to be workers and to work with him because God loves to work. When you read the beginning of Genesis, you see God at work creating. And let me read to you Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 1. We're going to go all the way through verse 17. So if you have your Bibles want to join me, I encourage you to do so. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Genesis 1. It says, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, already in those verses, the word work has been mentioned multiple times. God at work, God at work, God resting from his work. Verse 4, he says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord... God made the earth and the heavens. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord had not yet sent rain to water the earth. There were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Verse 7. 
Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Verse 8, Then the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden of the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10 says, A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden, and then dividing it into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptional, pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. And fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Now verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend or cultivate and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And of course, you know, that begins to open up where we'll be going in a few weeks when we talk about what went wrong in the garden. But what I want you to zero in with me on is the fact that God loves to work. And he invites us to work with him. God likes to get his hands dirty, literally, there in Genesis. He forms the first human being out of the dust of the ground and breathes into him the the breath of life. In fact, God's not only a gardener or a farmer, God's also a surgeon because he took out the rib from the man and out of that rib he fashioned a woman. Now let me just do a promotion for next week's message. If you are married, you've got to be here all right, at one of our campuses or join us online next weekend because I want to share some, some things with you, some truths that are going to help you in your marriage as we look back and see that, that God invented marriage and why marriage is so important to understanding really the entire Bible, past, present, and future, so, so you don't want to miss that. But for right now, I, I just want to bring out the fact that one of God's great purposes is he wants you and me to partner and to join him, listen carefully, in the joy of work. In the joy of work. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm going to guess some of you are thinking to yourself, I have no joy in my job. In fact, I asked my research assistant if she would just find out people's attitudes toward work here in the United States. And here's what we discovered. It was kind of confusing. Uh, some, research, some researchers say that 80% of Americans hate their jobs. 80%. Are you one of the 80% who hates your job right now? Other researchers say, no, 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 no. 49% of Americans are actually satisfied with their jobs. So, you know, which is it? 80% hate, 49% are satisfied. I think the disparity comes down to one thing, and that probably is when they were asked if they liked their job or not. Because, you know, one day you can love your job, the next week you can absolutely hate it, right? So in which camp are you? You know, sometimes I think we have this idea that pastors, ministers, Christian leaders, they just love their job all the time. 
You know, that's not necessarily true. I remember just, uh, I think about two years ago, I was on a flight to see my daughter in Texas. It was an early morning flight. And uh, a couple sat down next to me and we got into a conversation. And I found out that he was a pastor in a city about an hour uh, south of the Twin Cities. And I asked him how things were going, and I could just tell as soon as I asked that question that it created an upheaval of emotion in his chest, and he couldn't even answer me. And his wife instead spoke up, and she said, well, I need to let you know that we planted our, you know, the church that we've been leading 28 years ago. But she says these last couple of years with COVID and politics and vaccines and masks and all the stuff going on around us socially, she said, our church has been torn in two by it. And my husband and I have quit. And I felt so bad. I felt so sad for them. They look so wounded and so hurt because they invested so much of their life into this ministry and it seemed to be falling apart. You know, statistics tell us in the last couple of years, we've seen more pastors and Christian leaders leave their ministries, their vocation, than at any other time because of the stress, because of the pressure, because of the hardship. Have you ever wondered to yourself if God ever felt like quitting? It's actually a very interesting verse over in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, you know, after Adam and Eve had rebelled and their family had rebelled and things had gotten pretty bad on earth. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, these words. I'll find it eventually. It says, So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Wow. And God looks at how human beings rebel against him, how they've ruined his creation, and it just breaks his heart. He never made them. He was so sorry for, for what it had caused and what it had done. And we'll talk more about those verses later on in our series. But here's the news, all right? Thank God he didn't quit. Thank God he continued to seek us out, to find a way to restore us back into a relationship with himself. You know, I think what makes our jobs so hard and so difficult are relationships, right? I mean, you can have a really difficult job. The work itself can be technical, it can be tedious, it can be tiring. But if you're on a team where you really love the people you're working with or working for or who are working for you, and when you're together, you really pull together, you help each other out, you care about each other, you know what? You love your job. You don't mind getting up early and staying late because you love the people you're working with. On the other hand, you may love the job itself, the, the task you do or what you lead or what you create. But I'm telling you what, if you are doing it with people who are backbiting, people who are difficult, people who have bad attitudes, no matter how much you like the technical aspects of your job, the practical aspects of it, you can end up hating it just because, well, it's no fun to be around those people and the way they behave or the things that they do. But here's the thing, ready? God wants you to find joy in your job, no matter how wonderful it is or no matter how difficult it is. 
Because even, even though God experienced the tragedy of human sin and rebellion against him, and made his work difficult, so to speak. I want to remind you what it says in the New Testament, that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Isn't that awesome? Despite all the hardship that humanity created, God found it a joy to be able to come and offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins to bring us back into relationship with himself. So I want you to look at a second principle with me. God's great purpose is that you and I look at our job as an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. As an opportunity to bring joy and blessings into their lives. You know, my dad uh, comes from a farming background. He and his family were farmers in the Netherlands, the old country, and after the war, they migrated to Canada and they sharecropped until they could buy their own farm, a small farm, 125 acres, but on that farm, they raised tomatoes and vegetables, and that's a lot of tomatoes and a lot of vegetables. But they had to get the land ready. And so it meant cutting down trees, blowing up stumps, my dad said, removing all kinds of rocks so that the land would become tillable to plant the seed for the tomatoes and the cucumbers, which is primarily what they raised for many years. The result of it, though, was that hard work was worthwhile because then it brought a crop which gave them an income, but then provided food for tens of thousands of people both in Canada and the United States. Who knows who ate some of the product that came out of that small little farm? My point in saying all that is they did the tedious work of cultivating and tending the land so that others would benefit from it. There is a joy that God receives when he watches you and me doing our work, not just for ourselves, not just to provide an income for ourselves, but to be a blessing to others, that others might benefit, because that is the nature of God. Remember, God is love, and everything he did in creation was so that you and I would benefit from it, and so that others would benefit from it as well. And it's not just land. I mean, think about this. Think about music, for instance. I mean, what is music? I, I guess at its base form, right, at its rawest form, it's just a bunch of noise. But take somebody who's gifted, who has studied, who understands that noise, and they compose it, and they arrange it, and they play it. It can move your soul. Or think of somebody taking their voice like a musical instrument and using it skillfully and using it well. It moves your heart, right? Or think about somebody who's an architect. Or think about a builder, a contractor. Or think about somebody who's good with technology. Or think of, of, of a homemaker who's good at cooking or baking and organizing. Or think of a business leader. Or think of someone who's digging ditches. It doesn't matter. All of us, by what we do, can bring a benefit to others. They can bring a joy into life. They can bring a blessing into life. And that's how God wants us to see what we do, even, even when what we do seems menial at best, or what we do is hard, or in a difficult place, or even with difficult people. God wants us to see 
the joy that comes from what we do, the benefit that it brings to others. Now, when I graduated from Bible school, I had this mind and this thought, this thought that I was going to be the next D.L. Moody. I was going to be the next Charles Spurgeon. I was going to be the next Billy Graham. I mean, I was going to pour myself into preaching good sermons. I was going to, you know, live a, a life of, of surrender to God and God's anointing would come on me and, and, you know, churches would be filled. I would preach it. They would come kind of a thing. And instead, God allowed me to attend SOTW. You say, what? S-O-T-W, the Seminary of the Wilderness. God allowed me to go and minister in a church on the backside, so to speak, of civilization. It was a small little church on the edge of town, the middle of Ohio, where there was a congregation that had been through one pastor a year for seven years. It was not an easy place. The building was dilapidated. It was next to a... a, a a pasture area where a farmer was raising dairy cattle. There were no screens on the windows, and literally in the summertime, you had to open the windows to get air in the place. We had no air conditioning, and the flies would come in, the fans would be blowing, and you could watch the flies kind of moving back and forth as they made their way around the sanctuary. It was hot. It was disgusting. And I'll never forget that not only did the flies come in in the summertime, but so did bats little fruit bats about half the size of my hand would somehow make their way into that building. And every Sunday morning in the summer, I'd go there and I would uh, have to look for bats in the tiny little 80-seat sanctuary that we had. I had this really long pole on the end of it. it had like this, this metal toad stabber, all right? And I would go in there and I mean, I wish there was a video of it because you probably don't believe what I'm telling you, but this is the honest truth. I would go in there, all right, before anybody showed up, and I would hunt down bats. Some would be hanging on the walls. We had a wooden altar that'd be hanging on the altar. I even found a couple of them hanging on the bottom of the pews. Can you imagine some woman sitting in there, reaching underneath to grab her hymnal, and out comes the bat? Didn't want that to happen. And then I'd have to go by, and I'd have to kill each bat. And when I would stab it, sounds like a movie, doesn't it? His mouth would open, right? There'd be a little screech and there'd be those white fangs. And I can remember so many times saying to God, really? This is why I went to school? This is why I studied the Bible? Why I studied theology? This is where you want me to be? I mean, this is what ministry is all about? Is this God what I signed up for? And I learned a really powerful lesson. And the lesson I learned was that my job is not my job. That God gives me my job. God has given you your job. And it may be a hard job, and it may be in a hard place, and you might be wondering, what value is this? What does this mean for me? But all God asks you and me to do is to see our job as an opportunity to create something that will be a blessing to others. Getting rid of bats was a blessing to those who came to the service afterwards. So that they could sit and worship God and hear the word of God and not be distracted by those frightening little creatures. It may have been a small task, throwing salt on the sidewalks and shoveling the sidewalks in the wintertime so people could get in the worship center. And all the things that I, you know, I had to do that I never really had thought was going to be part of ministry. 
but I had to keep my mind focused on what's the benefit to others. My job is not my job. It's a God-given opportunity, as hard as it might be, that others might be blessed. When you think about your job, what you do, where you do it, do you see it as something that you do that can be a benefit to others? Or has your job become all about you? Is it about what you can get out of it? See, God wants us to have a heart like his. And God's heart is he always does what he does for the benefit of his creation. And he wants us to be the same way as well. So here's the third principle, all right? In creation, you cannot sit on the resources that God gives you. You must leverage them for his glory. So in God's creation, you can't sit on your job. Your job is not for you. You're to leverage your job for his glory, to benefit and help of others. Your God-given resources, financial, your finances, your talents, your abilities, are given to you to leverage for the sake of the rest of creation. Think about how God sets the example. God has his son who has always been, and yet God leverages his son. God sacrifices his one and only son. Why? So that you and I can have eternal life. What kind of gifts, talents, and abilities has God given you? What kind of resources has he blessed you with? And how are you leveraging them to be a blessing to his creation, to bring hope, to bring help, to bring nourishment, to bring provision, to bring salvation to those who are around you. How are you investing, in other words? This past week, I had an opportunity to be in a foreign country, I won't name it right now, where I had a chance to teach some of the top-tier leaders of the Timothy Initiative, where we're trying to plant, joining them to plant 30,000 churches in the next 10 years in an area of two countries where there are 300,000 villages left that still don't have a gospel witness, where less than 1% in that entire area of Asia know who Jesus Christ is. And you know, as I stood there and I taught them, and my responsibility was to talk about how do we move forward with exponential church planting but not lose our Christ-centered, our Bible-based theology, our convictions that this is being done of God and for God. That's my, that was kind of my responsibility to remind them that we must depend on the Lord. As I stood there and did that, I was so thankful for you, those of you who are part of the Wooddale family. So thankful for you because as you give your resources to the ministry of this church, you are, you know, it's kind of like my, my dad and his family planting those vegetables. They have no idea whose table they ended up on in some form or another. You have no idea how what you're offering in terms of your financial resources, your time, your talents, your gifts, you have no idea how it's going to affect lives for eternity here, near, and far. So God's giving you these resources. Leverage those for his glory in the vocation and the opportunities that he's given to you. And then one last thing I want to share with you, one last principle, as we talk about work and God's original intention for work. Not only does God invite us to join him by being workers ourselves, 
Not only does he call us to have joy in our work, not only does he call us to have the joy of blessing others through our abilities and our skills and our resources, but listen, God also warns us. Don't let your work become your identity. And it can happen so easily. Even in Christian ministry, it is possible that what we do becomes kind of our identity of who we are. And when your job or your vocation or your sport or whatever it is that you do, when it becomes your identity, that's called idolatry. Because it means I'm now looking to my job for my sense of value and my sense of security and my sense of worth. And our jobs fail us. Our jobs get hard. Our jobs can be taken away from us. But God cannot. So who or what defines you? Pastor Kyle talked about being made in the image and likeness of God. I don't want my life to end up being made in the image and likeness of my profession or my sport or my talents or my abilities. And I'm afraid that's become quite an issue in our culture today, which is so materialistic. Who are you? What are you? Isn't it interesting, oftentimes when you meet somebody, one of the first questions you want to ask them is, what do you do? And immediately when they tell us what they do, we form certain stereotypes, certain judgments about them, rather than seeing them as those who've been created in the image of God, who are loved by God, and I need to treat them that way. Not judge them by what they've done, or what they accomplish, or what they drive, or where they live or what they do. And that's why we read in the passage of Scripture that God takes a Sabbath and gives us the gift of the Sabbath. Let me just read it one more time, those couple of verses in Genesis chapter 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed, and on the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, it was a day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Did God need to really rest? Like, was God physically exhausted? Of course not. So what does it mean that God took a Sabbath, that God rested? Number one, I think it means that God stood back and enjoyed what he had made, what he had done. And there's a sense in which God calls you and me to take a Sabbath in order to enjoy what God has done, and listen, and what God has done and is doing through us, in our work, through our talents, through our abilities, to enjoy what God has created around us, to enjoy what God has done through others. But there's a second reason why God took a Sabbath, and that was to set an example for you and me. That one day out of the week, we would step back and realize that we are not God that one day of the week we would step back from our busyness and our work life and realize that when it's all said and done, all that matters is my relationship with God. That I don't allow my job or my sport or whatever it is I do define who I am, but God himself. Whenever I visit Israel, I always notice from sundown Friday till sundown Saturday night, the place shuts down for the Jewish people. I mean, Jerusalem becomes so 
quiet. Why? Because they're observing the Sabbath. It's a time to stop work. It's a time to be with family. It's a time to remember God, who God is and what he has done. And you know something? I don't read any place in the Bible where God has said that we no longer have to keep or observe the Sabbath. God gave Sabbath for you and me to enjoy. A time to step back once a week and remember who he is and what he's done for us. If we ignore the Sabbath, if we violate the Sabbath, do you know what we do? We violate God's order in creation. We violate this day that God gives us that we so physically and spiritually and emotionally need to rest. We violate an opportunity to remember that when it's all said and done, life is about God. It's not about my job. It's not about my abilities. And yet, I meet people who are so oftentimes tired from the weekend, they can't wait to go back to work. Because the way we are driven in our culture today is we take our, quote, Sabbath, and we fill it so full of stuff that we're exhausted. What would it happen if you radically stepped back and decided from now on, you're going to take a Sabbath day to truly rest, to enjoy God, to remember who you are and whose you are. I tell you what, I think it would radically change you. It would radically change your relationships. It would radically change your family. But I watch parents, and I know I'm stepping on toes now, I watch parents who use the weekend to just fill their kids' lives with so much activity that oftentimes worshiping God and being with God is sacrificed as something we squeeze in later on. And I'm wondering what kind of generation are we creating for the future? When we were raising our kids, we had friends out in California. They were a Mormon family and very strict Mormons. And though I totally would disagree with much of their doctrine and beliefs, one of the things I admired about them, because they were raising their kids like we were raising our kids, is that when it came to Sunday for them, their Sabbath, their kids didn't play sports. They didn't work. They really respected the Sabbath and took that time to step back and be still and be quiet, to attend their worship services, as they would call them, and to be with family. And you know, I disagree with the with the Mormon faith, and it truly is a cult. I admire the fact that at least in this family, they understood and respected what the Sabbath really means. As a follower of Christ, as those who have the truth of God's word in front of us, are we willing, are we willing to follow God's prescription? Are we willing to go against the grain of the culture? Listen, as I end, I want to give you some practical things to do with what I've just shared with you. As you think about your job and your family, your, vo your vocation, here's the first one. I want to challenge you, if you haven't done this already, I want to challenge you every day to thank God for your job. Now, you don't have to thank God for the circumstances necessarily or some of the difficult people you may have to work with, but I want you to thank God for what he's given you to be able to do in this season. 
Number two, I want you to start thinking about your job, your vocation, whatever it is you do, as something that is to the benefit of others. And thank God for how your job benefits others, whatever it might be. It provides for them in some way. It gives them an opportunity in some way. It helps them in some way. There's a, I mean, think about what difference does your job make in the lives of others. And as small as it might seem, like killing bats so people can sit and worship God, thank Him for that. But don't think about your job as being your job for you. Think about your job as being for others. Thirdly, I want you to start praying and seeing your job as your ministry. It's your ministry, it's, it's where God has put you to make a difference. And then finally, ask yourself, how am I being God's witness in my job? Whether you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, or you're out someplace working, how by your attitude, how by your very demeanor, how by your speech, how by your conduct, are you bearing witness to the presence of Christ? I had an interesting experience I want to close with. I flew back from uh, the country where I was ministering this past week. It was like a 17-hour flight. And I tell you what, I was so thankful to get off that plane back there in economy where everything gets kind of scrunched up, right? And I, was, I, I so wanted a cup of tea. And so I went to uh, uh, Newark Airport is where I landed. I went to where I knew there was a Starbucks. And I stood in line waiting for my venti English breakfast tea with some cream and some agave to sweeten it up. And as I stood in line, I stood there for at least 10 minutes and I watched a drama unfold behind the counter with a couple of the baristas. They were not getting along with each other. And all of a sudden, two of them just left and went into the back room and literally left the customers standing there. And I thought to myself, I do not have time for all of this. And I just left. And I walked down one of the concourses, got to the very end, and there I saw another Starbucks sign. And I thought, well, let's see what's going on down here. They were doing some reconstruction down at that end, and there wasn't as many people. And I turned the corner, and I got in line, and uh, there were only two gals who were working as baristas. So I stood in line and I noticed the girl who was taking the orders that there was something so different about her. There was a, a joy in her voice. There was a, a brightness in her smile. And um, it didn't matter that you had to wait. You just felt kind of a, a strange sense of peace there. And I thought to myself, I wonder and sure enough, when it came my turn to order my drink, I noticed on her name tag, she had her name printed, and then underneath she had written, God is so good. And I realized she was a believer. And she was allowing her faith to come out in her very countenance. And I'm telling you what, even though it was a pretty deep line waiting to get the coffee, I didn't hear murmuring, I didn't hear complaining. She was so kind. She and the other gal were working so hard. You just, you didn't mind at all. That's the difference we make when we show up to our jobs knowing that God is so good and allowing that to pour out of our attitudes, out of our very confidence 
every efforts. God made you and me to work, to work with him, to work for him, to be a blessing to others. Lord, as we take this message to heart, as we think right now about our, our jobs, our vocations, our skills, our abilities, God, are we spending it on ourselves? Are we allowing it to define us? Are we miserable because of it? Or Lord, do we see it as an opportunity? Do we see it as a way and a means to show the people we serve, the people we work with, that God is good? God, perhaps you stepped on some of our toes and convicted us that we need to Sabbath because we've lost the joy of what we do. We are beat up and we are tired and we're exhausted. And it's because we have violated, Lord, one of your guidelines in creation. Help us, Lord, to step back. Help us, Lord, to take a Sabbath to honor you in Christ's name. Amen.